0: Morning and welcome to Long and Baptist Church as we meet online to worship God um, Just a few notices for you this morning uh, We'll be uh, looking at Exodus chapter 20 this morning, the, the Ten Commandments And what it means to be uh, God's covenantal people Well we're here this morning to be able to worship God And as we do that, let us turn to his word this morning Let us turn to Exodus as we go through the book of Exodus uh, Exodus chapter 6 Verses five to seven. Let's hear what God has to say to us. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people And I will be your God Then you will know that I am the Lord your God Who brought you out From under the yoke of the Egyptians Let's pray together Father God we thank you that you are a God Who uh, makes a covenant with his people That you redeem your people And we thank you Lord Jesus That you have redeemed us Not from Egypt, from the slavery of Egypt But from the slavery of our sin that we might be able to be free people, uh, to worship you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to do that this morning, uh, to place down any distractions that we have, that our hearts might be quietened as we come to worship you. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Exodus 20, verses 1 to 21. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, Neither you, nor your son nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was.
2: Good morning everybody. Well, we've prayed already effectively in that last song, haven't we, that uh, God would speak to us as we come to him, that he would teach us full obedience, holy reverence and true humility. So let's go straight in, shall we? It was a year ago that um, news came out from China that a new deadly coronavirus had been identified. Little did we know then that it would plunge the whole world into chaos, with governments everywhere struggling to to deal with it and to bring it under control. The thing is, what people don't acknowledge is that the world was already in chaos before the coronavirus arrived. The world was and is in moral chaos. On the surface, it might appear that things are fine with everybody going about their daily lives, trying to enjoy life as best they can, But you have to dig very far to find that everyone struggles in one way or another to know what is the right thing to do in a particular circumstance. In the everyday decisions they have to make, what is it that is guiding them? What is their moral compass? Having been made in the image of God, there is in in all of us an instinctive sense of right and wrong. We hate injustice, we hate oppression, we want to care for those in need. The trouble is there's also part of us that will do whatever is best for us. Yes, the truth is good, as long as I don't lose out. Yes, loyalty is good, as long as I'm not depriving myself of something better. This morning we're looking at the, the Ten Commandments, and most people know whether they are, are Christians or not, that the Bible contains Ten Commandments. Probably very few will be able to tell you um, what they all are. In fact, the average person in the street, you'll probably struggle to name more than three or four. Might go as far as don't murder, lie, steal, that's probably about it. And yet it's the Ten Commandments that have shaped most people's view of Christianity, they have in their mind that Christianity is about uh, keeping the rules, keeping the commandments. And so for most people that is a, a big turn-off. If we're Christians we know that is not what it's all about. It's actually about enjoying a relationship with God. That covenant relationship that we looked at last week in which God promised his people to be their God and the, prom- the people promised to be his people. That is again picked up here at the beginning of chapter 20 before we come on to the commandments themselves. Because in verse 1, it says, God spoke all these words. These are the words of God himself, the same God who spoke and the world came into being and he's now speaking to his people. He says, I am the Lord your God he brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. As we said last week, he is a personal God. He uses his name Yahweh, translated Lord here in capital letters. The name he used to introduce himself to Moses back in chapter 3. He's not some kind of impersonal force. He relates to his people. He's also a sovereign God. He has the the power to, to rescue them and protect them. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And having redeemed his people out of his mercy for them, God expects them to relate to him in a certain way if they are to enjoy the blessings of that relationship. As we read in chapter 19, verse 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. For his people to obey him and to enjoy a covenant relationship with him, they need to know his character, they need to know his will, what is pleasing to him. And that's where the Ten Commandments come in. We haven't got time this, this morning to look at each one in detail, uh, so we're going to focus more on the purpose of them. The first thing about them is that they reveal God's holiness and how far we fall short. First commandment in verse four is, you shall have no other gods before me. This is in many ways the, the root of all the others. As our creator and redeemer, God expects to be the most important person in our lives. But how often do do other people, other things, become more important to us? How often do we love ourselves more than God? God requires our exclusive worship. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength second commandment is you shall not make for yourself an idol or a carved image if the first commandment is about replacing God then this one is about changing God into the God we want him to be but God is holy, he's too big for us to reduce him to a man-sized God which is really what the story of the golden calf was all about that we'll look at in a couple of weeks time God has, revealed to us, God has revealed himself to us in his word. But how often do we try and reinterpret his word to suit our purposes? Thirdly, you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The name of the Lord reveals his character, his, his holiness, his majesty, his faithfulness to his people. And so to misuse his name is not just about not using God or Christ as as a swear word, but to treat his holy character with contempt. It's to say or do something which would cause damage to his reputation. Fourthly, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As we said when we looked at the verse for the year a couple of weeks ago, to keep something holy is to set it apart from something for something else for God give up what you would normally do demonstrate how how much you treasure God this command reveals God's holiness but also His compassion as Jesus said the, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath use that day for spiritual rest don't place demands on others that would force them to work Fifth, honour your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The promise that goes with this commandment is in many ways one which could be added to all of the commandments because they are all given for our benefit so that we may live life to the full in the way God designed it to be. I mentioned the world is in moral chaos A lot of that is because of an unwillingness to submit to authority. And that starts with authority in the home. If children don't respect the authority of their parents, then society will become chaotic. We'll see the sorts of scenes we saw in in Washington last week. The greatest authority we can reject is that of our Heavenly Father. How do you view those in authority over you? Six, you shall not murder Jesus made clear in the Sermon on the Mount that God's greatest concern is not our ability to, to tick boxes to say we've kept the law it's the attitude of our hearts he said if we are angry with our brothers or sisters in Christ we're guilty of murdering them in our heart you can say they've never been angry with someone else Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Again, Jesus says anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You can say they've never had lustful thoughts. Eight, you shall not steal. Again, you might not have actually committed a theft or defrauded anybody, but have you looked at something someone else has and secretly wanted it? Nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This is not just standing up in court and uh, giving false testimony, but have you ever gossiped about someone else without knowing the truth? Have you ever criticized someone for their actions behind their back and actually not knowing the full story? And finally, verse 10, you shall not covet In case there was any doubt about the other commandments, but being primarily about the attitude of our heart, this last one makes it crystal clear. If we've been jealous of something that someone else has, rather than being content in what God has given us, then even if we haven't stolen it, even if we haven't committed adultery, we're still guilty of coveting. So as we've gone through all these briefly What we quickly see is what is important to God We learn something of his character God values relationships and respect for authority God values life, he is the giver of life God values faithfulness in relationships He values respect for one another's property God values honesty and truth God values contentment in what we have in him We also see the guidelines for what would be a a wonderful world if everyone kept these commandments in their hearts. But of course, what we quickly realize is that we have all failed in each one of them. We are all by nature lawbreakers. As it says in 1 John 3, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, he says. And well, that is part of the purpose of the law, to show us that we are lawbreakers. To show us just how far we are from God's holiness. If we didn't have the law, if we didn't have God's standards of perfection, we wouldn't know how far from him we are. We could kid ourselves that actually we're, you know, we're fairly decent people. That's why Paul describes the law in Romans as good. He says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law I would not have known the state of my heart without something to measure it by he's saying it's like learning a, a foreign language you know, you can learn it in, in a classroom you can speak to others in a in class and think actually you're pretty good at this particularly maybe compared to, to the others in your class because you've got nothing to measure it by apart from them if you go to another country where the language you're trying to learn is spoken by native speakers, then you realize just how far you fall short. The Ten Commandments reveal God's holiness and how far we fall short. And secondly, they reveal our need for Jesus as our Savior. God doesn't just show us our imperfection so that we feel pretty bad about ourselves. He does so in order that we see our need for salvation and having demonstrated our need for salvation in his grace he gives us a saviour Jesus Christ you've got a problem he says but I've got a solution for you the trouble is many people don't accept they've got a problem because they've made up their, their own moral code for their lives. They've decided what they think is right and wrong. It's a code which they feel they can keep. And if they get it wrong from time to time, well as long as no one else gets hurt, then it doesn't really matter. But in Romans 3, we read these words. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather through the law we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, having revealed to us that we've fallen short of God's perfect standards, the law points us to how we can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Why does faith can Jesus do that? <clears throat> well, firstly, because Jesus is the only one who's ever kept the law perfectly. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What he's saying is that he will carry out the law perfectly, based on the sense of obeying it and fulfilling its purpose. He lived it perfectly. I'm the light of the world, he, he said, light symbolizing the truth and moral purity. As far as his obedience to his father was concerned, he said, I am always doing what is pleasing to him. I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. To the Jews who opposed him, he asked them, Which of you convicts me of sin? And there was no response. In the book of Hebrews, he is described as one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. And not only did he obey the law perfectly, he explained it to to people so that they themselves would would understand it, love it, and obey it. If they thought they were already obeying it perfectly, he pointed out to them where they were going wrong. You may know the story of the the rich man who came to Jesus and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, keep them. To which the man replies, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Which is when Jesus, who could see into his heart, said, you still lack one thing, Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. What was Jesus doing? Surely that's not one of the commandments we've just gone through then, to sell all you have. Well, it's not. But what was the first commandment that we we read? You shall have no other gods before me. This man's God was his money. He was worshipping that instead of God, and sadly he wasn't willing to give it up. So the disciples were quick to realise, well, that rich young man's God might have been his money, for others it's something else, for them it was probably something else. So uh, they said to him, well, who then can be saved? To which Jesus made this incredible response. What is impossible with man is possible with God. The great news in this passage is that although we cannot live perfect lives we cannot save ourselves salvation is possible because of God's grace. Jesus pointed out people's failings but he also offered them the gift of forgiveness and salvation in him. And the reason that they and we can be forgiven we can be saved is that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. So when he came to give up his life for us Because it was a perfect life, it was sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins, for our failure to keep the law. What happens when we believe in Jesus is that his perfection is credited to us and our imperfection and the punishment we deserve falls on him. And so we are redeemed and and we are treasured as God's people. The question we still have though as we go back to Exodus Exodus 20 is what do we do with the Ten Commandments today? You know, if Jesus has lived up to them for us and we've put our trust in Jesus and been redeemed, what purpose do they serve now? As we come to our final point, they help us to, to worship God with reverence and awe. For the people of Israel, having been redeemed by God from slavery in Egypt... God made clear to them in the Ten Commandments how they could worship him as their God. The Christians today, having been redeemed from slavery to sin by Jesus, the purpose of the Ten Commandments in some ways hasn't changed. They still reveal how we can submit to God and worship him. The question is how? i have already said it's impossible. But What we need is a new heart, a new motivation to obey God. What was the motivation of the people of Israel? Have a look at verse 18 of chapter 20. It says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. They are afraid of God. Which is not surprising when you you consider what is going on. So what does Moses say to them? He says, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. On the one hand, he's saying, do not fear. After all, God has just rescued you from slavery in Egypt. He's, He's not out to get you. He's a good God. He loves you. He treasures you. Do not fear him. But on the other hand, it is the fear of God that will keep you from sinning. So there's also a healthy fear that we should have towards God, which is about remembering that he is a holy God. That part of God's character doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He is still a holy God. So when you're tempted to to disobey his commandments, think about his holiness. Think about how he would feel. When you're thinking about that other woman, think about your wife, your love for her, but think also about God. Think about that with every temptation you feel. In Hebrews 12, there's a passage that compares Mount Sinai, the mount that is burning with fire, a terrifying sight with Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. What is the difference between them. Well, at Mount Zion we have Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, we're told. And what is different about this covenant? Well, the Prophet Ezekiel describes it like this He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful. To keep my laws. <clears throat> As we put our trust in Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, who gives us a new desire to, to keep God's commandments and a new ability to keep them. The image used here is a, is a heart of stone that is hard and cold and unfeeling, that has no sensitivity towards God and replacing it with a a heart of flesh that is soft and tender, where the the spiritual sense has come alive and is now aware of what is pleasing or displeasing to God. It's not a a mechanical part you need to put in a robot to make it work and do what you tell it to do. It's a spiritual living organism that knows what is right and wrong, that knows what is the will of God. And it's an act of God that has enabled us to be changed. He hasn't just given us the law and told us to to follow it. Through the Spirit, he's moved us to follow his laws. He's inclined us to walk in his ways. He's given us the wisdom, the will, and the power to do the good works that he prepared for us in advance to do. He's making us more like Jesus. He's giving us the power to serve him. The healthy fear of God doesn't change. It's why the passage in Hebrews 12 that I mentioned before ends with these words. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. In other words, let's still worship God with fear because he is a holy God. Now, you may be thinking, with all this, well, I have put my faith in Jesus. It's great that I've been forgiven. I want to keep God's commandments in my heart, but I still keep failing. Well, the main question is, do you have a desire to please God? Because the desire is proof that God has changed you, he has put in you a new heart. The putting that into practice is, is a lifelong process, and we can be grateful just for every small step we make along the way. There will be setbacks But God will pick us up again and keep us moving forward. The other thing I would say is don't be afraid to to ask for help if you are struggling with temptation. Church is not meant to be like Oscars nights where lots of successful people turn up on their own looking to impress one another. And the really successful are given the awards. No, we're meant to be more like a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous where we come together to share our struggles and support and encourage one another in our Christian faith. So as we finish, if we are Christians, it's because we have seen that we have fallen short of God's holiness. As a result, that we've seen our need for a saviour, a redeemer. And the good news is God has given us that saviour in Jesus. He's also given us a new heart He's given us a new desire to keep his commandments and to worship him acceptably with reverence and awe. So let's pray as we go into this week that by the power of the Spirit that we would do that with increasing effectiveness and increasing love for God. Let's pray. Father God, we do come before you with awe. And reverence, we acknowledge your holiness. And we thank you that you have shown us something of that holiness in these Ten Commandments. We thank you also that they have served to show us where we fall short of your standards. And we thank you that you haven't left us feeling bad or guilty about that, but you have given us a Saviour. You've shown us our need for salvation, and you've given us a Saviour in Jesus Christ. We thank you for him, Lord. And we thank you as we put our trust in him, you give us the spirit to guide us, to want to please you, to want to keep your commands. And he gives us a greater power to do that. Lord, we want to see that power at work in our own lives. Lord, help us to put uh, sin to death, each one at a time. Where we're feeling frustrated, Lord, and guilty that we're not making the progress we would like to see, Lord, encourage us, support us, Keep us focused on you. And may we know the support and encouragement of each other around us that you've given us in your church. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.